Welcome to Mental Health in Minutes, where we open the door to conversations about workplace mental health and help leaders and HR professionals create safe and innovative organizations where our employees and our companies thrive. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, the Psychological Health and Safety Advisor, a workplace mental health consultant, a speaker, facilitator, and an expert in hope. Each episode of this show has three objectives, to discuss the future of mental health in the workplace, to identify the best, most successful strategies for opening the door to mental health conversations at work, and to share the top ways we can engage our leadership in the workplace mental health conversation and have them endorse and pay for a positive culture shift within our organization. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that our people need us more than ever, but most of our organizations have a long way to go until supporting employee wellness is embedded in the culture of our workplaces. This episode is a resource you can use to start and continue workplace mental health conversations, and my guests will share their experiences and what's worked for them. Today's guest is Dr. Nicole Chirska. She is a scientist and a positive psychology coach who helps individuals and teams in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math to do their best work. She works with her clients to build remarkable partnerships in their organization so their work gets the momentum and recognition it deserves. Nicole also helps construct ways of working that reduce stress and increase motivation and engagement. Nicole lives in Hamburg, Germany. She holds a PhD in chemistry and is trained in coaching, positive psychology, change management, and advanced problem solving. When she's not buried in research papers and books, you can find her taking long hikes in the German countryside or mesmerized by Mary Poppins on the screen. I can't wait for you to meet her, so let's dig in. Hello, Nicole. It is so wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me this morning. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, I guess it's afternoon for you. I always I always think when I record these things that we're in the same time zone, but you are not. So let's let's share with the audience who you are and what you do and maybe where you're joining us from. Yeah. So I'm dialing in from Hamburg in Germany. And I am a food chemist by training, but over the course of my career, the universe nudged me <laughs> into a different direction. And uh, since the past four or five years now, I focus more on people work. So just like you, I'm a huge fan of positive psychology and I'm a trained coach and I'm a facilitator and I'm a change manager. And so, yeah, that's really what I'm doing now. And it's the shortest introduction <laughs> of myself. I love it. I love, I mean... I know we connected over positive psychology because we have such a passion for it. And I know that you have specifically been working with uh, women and kids in STEM environments. So science, technology, engineering, and math, which comes from your scientific background, of course. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing in STEM? Yeah. So uh, coming from that background of really the natural sciences, but... I take that with me into also positive psychology. One thing that I really like about it is that it's evidence-based. So there's a ton of research behind it. And what I have in common with my clients, might it be individual clients or might it be teams or leaders, is that we're we're nerds in the most loving sense of the word. We just, we just love to geek out about our topics. And what I notice is that when we work in corporate in the industry, uh, whilst we would have a ton of resource at our fingertips, 
are very different compared to academia, where a lot of scientists just spend their whole day, you know, writing grant applications. Um, so there could be a paradise, and yet it isn't. And I always like to say, you know, when those brilliant geeks on your team don't want to nerd out about their favorite topics anymore, then it's likely because of how work is done in your company. And I really love working with leaders and their teams or individuals uh, on just basically navigating those challenges that we face in corporate work life and to get back a bit more time, headspace, and just really do what we do best again. Yeah. I love that perspective because, you know, I love how you've niched down into that technology and engineering space, because as a fellow nerd, as someone who my sister says, the longer my mouth is open, the geekier I get. (laughs) That's awesome. I want to, you know, when I'm, when I'm speaking about things that I'm passionate about, it shows up in every other aspect of my life. I show up better in my job. I do my my activities better, my my fitness is better, my life is better when I am fulfilled and working and, and living in, in places that I'm passionate about. So I think it's I think it's awesome that you're focusing on those of us who may not typically uh, express our emotion and joy on data and geeky stuff for fear of embarrassment or reprisal or um you know, being picked on for that kind of brilliance. So can you share a little bit about um, how you work with fine folks like that on helping to reduce stress and prevent burnout? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is one of my favorite topics. And I love that uh, we explore that a bit deeper. Um, There's two other things I do with companies, just to mention that for completeness. The other thing is, helping them build remarkable partnerships within the organization so that people really work better together, collaborate better. Uh, And the third thing is helping the women that they have on their teams. And then they they would love to see them. I know so many companies would love to see more more women progressing through the ranks. And um, oftentimes it seems to... Yeah, not happen, even though the leaders really want to promote them. And so that's another thing where I help those women step up and claim their spot. And um, but yeah, like I said, we're gonna talk about um yeah, how we, you know, what's beyond resilience training. <laughs> so because we're all stressed out, uh, oftentimes at work, and uh it's no surprise because well, not even just the last two years where we had extra, extra demands put on ourselves in our private life, um, the new responsibilities that we had to take on, you know, working from home, caring for others, financial worries, many people have been furloughed and so on. So that, that acts, that adds extra stress. But even if we just look at the workplace and how work is organized and done, we can easily spot so many things that we could do differently and where even just minor tweaks uh, would help people cope better with the workload because sometimes projects just are busy um, or you have those seasonal fluctuations in your business, you know, uh, depending on, let's say, if you are, if you're in a 
consumer goods company and you make chocolate, then you know Easter and Christmas time will be very busy. Just as an example, you know, so so there are those elements, but there are other things that, you know, drain our energy and or could give us energy and motivation back. And this is often overlooked. Do you have some examples of places that organizations can look for those energy sucks and also energy improvers? Mm, yes. Um Okay, let's look at what drains our energy. So again, this is research-based. The theory behind that is based on something that is called the job demands resources model. And uh, there's research from around the globe that backs this up and refines this since over 20 years now. So this is not a fad. This is real science. (laughs) And it is so fascinating. And what this model describes is basically that in any job, Uh, we have aspects of our work life that take our sustained efforts to cope with that. And those are job demands. So the things that really drain our energy. And these are things like, um, of course, workload, but then also how work is organized. Is there, are there a lot of bureaucratic hurdles? What does the work environment look like? So just, you know, the physical environments. Do we have proper light, proper air? Do we have a proper chair and a big enough screen? Or do we have to, you know, squint our eyes to see those little lines of code or um, numbers on a spreadsheet? So things like that, even though we don't notice them maybe right away, they do do cause us that extra effort. Um, Things like emotional demands. So those people who are more customer facing or who have to do a lot of stakeholder management. Uh, it costs us a lot to maintain that professional demeanor when everybody else is just behaving nuts <laughs> on occasion. Uh, so those are those things um, that really take our energy out. And um, yeah, and this is one aspect that we can look at. You know, how can we organize work differently? How can we reduce those demands? How can we mitigate those? And then. On the other hand side, you have those energy givers, those job resources who really pay into, well, one thing, help us cope with the demands better. But secondly, they're also very motivating and energizing in their own right. So they're good to have, whether demands are high or not. And these are things like um, basically everything that helps us do our job better, accomplish our goals and uh, complete our tasks. Things like, can I use my strengths more often at work? Things like, do I have autonomy in how I go about my work or is every minute dictated, you know, and you start to feel like Charlie Chaplin in modern times? Um, or things like, do I have social support? Do I have the feeling I belong here and I'm part of the team and I have those connections with others that, you know, even if we just talk silly things in some breaks, um, it just helps us to um, feel better. But also, do I receive valuable feedback and opportunities to continue to develop further and build new skills and capabilities, which in turn then, you know, fuels my need for, or fills my need for competence. And that is just motivating in itself and so on. So I, I could go on and on, but uh, you get the gist of, you know, so it's like, how can we mitigate or manage those demands? Plus, how can we 
pay attention to in yeah increase those resources. Amazing. That There was so much goodness there that leaders can take away, uh, especially the research around that job, job resource load model. Did I get that right? Job demands resource model. Do, job demands resource model. So yeah. we will link to that. We will find that and link to it in the show notes for anybody who's extra interested to learn a little bit more about that. I love... I love the the models. I you know, like you mentioned, it's resource it's research based and it pr- proven through evidence that these kinds of things work. Um, very tactical, very tactical places for leaders and organizations to look for opportunities within their workplace. So thank you very much for that. Um, I'm a big believer that the wellness of our organizations is a partnership between us as the humans that work there and also the organization and the leaders that are supporting us. And I think you reinforced that there, you know, we can't, it, it shouldn't be all one or the other. It really is a partnership between, between all parties in the, within the organization. So I really appreciated those comments. Thank you very much. Um, some of the things that I think are often overlooked are, you know, symptoms of um, stress and burnout are the results, right? Our behavior under those conditions are the symptoms, but we miss the root cause of these kinds of issues. Can we talk a little bit about the common mistakes and myths that keep leaders and teams from actually solving this root cause? Yeah. And the root cause are exactly those job demands. So because it takes our sustained energy and we often don't even have enough time to recreate and replenish that outside of work because, you know, there are other tasks waiting for us and uh, other worries that we have. And so doing work in this way where we have, where we have to use our extra energy and effort, might it be um, emotional, cognitive, physical, um, to to meet those job demands and to cope with those situations just because work is set up in this way. Um, this leads over time to exhaustion and to sleeping problems and impaired health. And that is really, yeah, really that stress that we're experiencing then it's like where we, where we have those uh, physical um, bodily effects in the end. And when you pair this exhaustion with a lack of, of the job resources on the other side. So you don't even have anything that's motivating to you or giving you a little bit of energy back and you have exhaustion paired with cynicism and that gives you the burnout. And so, yeah, like you said, it's like what we're, what we're observing in people uh, and people react very differently um, to those things. I just spoke a leader with, uh, or it was this week I spoke with her and just interviewed her. Hey, these are the things that I'm seeing. Is that, can you see that for your own team too? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So uh, when there's a lot of high workload and a lot of stress, plus the additional demands that the pandemic has put on all of us, she says people react very differently to that. And some of her team, they retract, they become silent. Um, they are not as active anymore. They don't really reach out for help or ask you know, to cut them some slack. And in the end, they're all of a sudden, they're on sick leave. And this is really disheartening also for her as a people manager because she cares about her people. And she wish she would have known sooner. And 
needs to now knows she needs to pay extra attention to also those people that stay quiet. And then there are the other ones that try to overcompensate almost and try to white knuckle it through the workload and they just lean in more and more and more. But the work doesn't get less in the end. Uh, people who do more get to do more kind of. And um, yeah, and so it never feels like you accomplish anything or you really cross something off your list or that that mountain of work gets smaller. And uh, so, so it's a real thing. It's happening. Yeah, it absolutely is a real thing happening. And you touched on something I think that I'd, I'd like to explore a little further is the leadership's accountability combined with leadership's capacity to support people and, and also themselves. I Especially kind of functional line leaders, you know, sort of second up the command. Um, I think they have extra pressure on themselves because they're not those senior leaders that have less hands on keyboard or, you know, frontline kind of work to do. They are more able to do that um, brain work and that supporting work. But they, so these middle managers are really having to still do those tasks and activities while also the extra burden of managing and leading and supporting mm-hmm. people. Um, can we talk a little bit about that and how how you're supporting leaders to manage their own burnout and overwhelm? Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody heard that saying of put your own oxygen mask first. So definitely look after yourself. Um, I guess it's always good to start looking at, so what kind of work are we doing? I mean, so there's one aspect about, you know, training training yourself in um, good coping mechanisms and um, mindfulness practices, all those things that you learn in resilience training. But on top of that, let's look at how work is done. And simply putting all of the cards on the table, you can discuss uh, with your team together. It's like, okay, it's like the way we distributed the tasks at the moment, do they fit our strengths? Or do people have to do things they may be good at, but they don't really like doing? Um, but And could we swap tasks within one another? And how are we how are we planning the workload? Are we always planning to 100% capacity? Because nobody should be doing that. You should only plan to 80% capacity so because people get sick. Unforeseen things happen and then you have to cope with it. Um, how well are we planning ahead um, in terms of, you know, the, the the real business demands, you know, projects we have to fulfill or... Um, operational fluctuations and workloads. How can we react to this? And are we always surprised like, oh my God, it's Christmas again. How did that happen? You know? Um, So there are things that we can do there. At the same time, um, I have um, another company they're doing um, app development uh, for their clients. And that's, for example, the company says, okay, if we have clients who are just yeah, too demanding, who are impossible to manage, who are impossible to get along with, we are willing to cancel projects. So that is another thing that you may want to review within your team, within your department or within your company. It's like, can you let go of those types of clients to protect the people that work for you? 
Um, and another thing that you can do, obviously, is help people have a proper workstation setup. So um, for those people who work better when it's silent, don't put them in a big office where everybody's talking loudly on the phone all day. Um, or yeah, what can you do to make sure that even when they're working from home, they have a proper desk and a proper chair and, uh, you know, can sit comfortably. So those are just a few things to manage the demands better. Amazing. Amazing. So much practical advice there. If there was, if someone who's listening, thinking, man, there's so much good stuff here. Where the heck do I start? What would you be your thought on where they could put their energy to make the most impact and kind of start this process? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I always like with, I I always like to start with switching on the light. That's what I call it, which means just making visible what is happening. Uh, and a very easy thing, for example, when, when I'm hired to do a workshop with a team that's just a bit, you know, first analytical to understand what is the this, this situation actually, the simplest thing that we can do is we have, we have a question we ask ourselves, for example, um, how stressed are we at the moment or how much is work stressing us out at the moment? And everybody gets a vote on a one to 10 scale. And then you have the first picture, you know, say, like, okay, where are we? Are we, you know, spread out across the whole scale? Are we, do we see some people who are at a two and other people are at a, at an eight? So what's going on there? It's just a um, conversation starter to get curious. And then we ask ourselves, okay, let's say the average, we are at six. And you can ask yourself, okay, if we're at six, now what, what makes it a six? and not a five or four or a two. And you can find all of the things that are already working. What's working well, what's helping us cope with the demands, what's giving us energy, find all of those things. And then the second bit you can ask is, okay, so we're at six now. If we wanted to move one step closer to seven, what are some demands that we could manage better and how? And what are some resources that we want to have more of and how could we implement them in daily practices and routines that we anyways have in our team? I also hear that you're asking your people. I feel like these are conversations that you're having with your team. Is that right? Is that a good, is that? uh, Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, as a leader, I mean, how can you possibly know what's going on in people's heads, in everybody's heads? Plus, why would you put all the burden just on yourself and then come up with something that you think is the right solution, but you know, people, it's not really what people needed. So talking to people really gives you the best clues. And okay, occasionally it's okay to have unproductive venting sessions, but you know, it's okay. It's and it's actually important for people to get things off their chest. But at the same time, let's all be part of the solution. So the main task of the leader is really to look after themselves, be open and listen to people. And then once the team has agreed on how we want to do things differently, then go get that support that you need. Sometimes sometimes it's budget. Sometimes it's just aligning with more senior managers. And can we 
realign things? Can we shift objectives? These kind of things. So really just being more of an enabler and, an, and a facilitator because people are incredible and they have a lot of ideas and a lot of strengths and capability. And why would you not tap into this? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. People are incredible. You know, we, I am so blessed to work with organizations and the humans within organizations to, to increase maturity in all of these things that you're talking about, because we know, right. We know what's affecting us. We know what could be better if only people would listen to us. And one of the things that you mentioned there is to get senior leadership engaged in the conversation, to get them aligned, to get the things that you need, the, the actual resources you need, whether it's more people, more money, more, you know, better desks. One of the things that we talk about on this show, especially one of the three big objectives of this overall um, podcast is tips and tricks on engaging senior leadership in this conversation who may not be as personally impacted by the same things that are going on at the at the bottom line. They're for sure, they are overwhelmed and, and burnt out and stressed out themselves, but in with a different cause, I would suggest. How do you start those conversations and how do you get senior leadership alignment? Oh, Lindsay, <laughs> I could, I could venture into a, I don't know, three day training on change management and communication <laughs> from this point, but maybe, maybe a couple of things, um, to, to just frame that. Um, first of all, your, um, so let's start with attitude. So don't consider them your enemy or the pe- the person you need to get something from and who always says no, but consider them your partner. So approach them in that way, you know, that you're um, on, pa- on parity, eye level, uh, so to speak. And um, it's really not m- me fighting against that senior manager, but it's like, how can we find a solution to this together? So that's attitude to start with first. Then the second bit, I would say, think of your goal and, you know, what do you want to achieve? What do you really want from them? And also find yourself a minimum, maximum goal setting kind of, because um, your company is likely not a candy shop, you know, where you can just like get anything at all times. So think about like, what is the absolute minimum that you really, really need and you have proper, proper reasons. And then, you know, what are the cherries on top that you would happily take if possible? And then the third thing I would say is don't put all of the pressure on one conversation, but map it out as a strategy. Is there a way you can invite that senior person to speak with your team directly? Is there a I don't know, global engage or company-wide engagement survey going on or um, anything like that that you can tag on to and use as a conversation starter or gather the data for it. Um, is there, um, are there any other, other ideas like one, one-on-one meetings? Can you partner up with peers of yours and other parts of the business where you're seeing the same thing and you could um, capitalize on the same solution? Basically, so it shows that uh, you know that solution that, that solution has a lot of leverage and brings return on investment beyond just your small team. And then, yeah, just make sure you have a series of conversation and engagement opportunities with that senior leader 
and know that things might not happen overnight. But if you're pleasantly pleasantly persistent, <laughs> you will get places. Brilliant. I knew you were the right person to ask that question of. I especially love the um, approach that senior leader from a place of parity, right? At the end of the day, they are also human and have been affected and will continue to be affected, whether it's you know, they can look back on their long career and recognize how this kind of job design would have supported them in better ways. Or if they're looking, you know, kind of down over their organization and if you're relating some of the scenarios that are going on within their organization and they can really see it through your words, all of a sudden it becomes personal to them. And, you know, you can tap into the heart and minds of that of that person as opposed to looking at them as your enemy or somebody you have to, you know, get something from. That's brilliant perspective. Super, super helpful perspective. Nicole, this has just been amazing. Like you have just, you have spewed all the wisdom, all of the ideas, um, so much that people can take away, even even just a few of the things uh, that you've talked about, I think will make a huge impact in our organizations and they don't feel hard. They don't feel overwhelming. You know, they feel like they are good places to start that would have really important impact. So thank you for sharing your brilliance with us today and your insight. Can you share with people where they can find you when they want the how to do it um, now that you've told them the what to do? Yeah. Um, Yeah, you can find me at, nicolechierske.com. My name is impossible to spell. So I'm sure you put all of the links in the show notes. So find me there. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat. Like I said, it's one of my favorite topics to geek out about and learn more from, you know, what's going on uh, on the front lines in the companies. Amazing. We absolutely will link to all of your places in the show notes and in our social media posts. So thank you again for joining us. I cannot wait to continue the conversation. It has been a real pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mental Health in Minutes. I resonated so much with what Nicole had to say, especially about how doing mental health at work well is more than just going through resilience training. She shared many of the common mistakes and myths that keep leaders and teams from solving the root cause of their stresses and also really practical ways to support your employees and increase wellness at work. Nicole and I both believe in the power of our leaders to create psychologically safe workplaces, and we know that you do too, or you wouldn't be listening to this. If you loved this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast player. You can find this everywhere at Mental Health in Minutes, as well as on the web at mentalhealthinminutes.com. The thing we do best at Mental Health in Minutes is open the door to conversations about mental health at work. And episodes like this give us real things we can try to truly make a difference. I know you're making a difference at your workplace or you'd really like to be, or you wouldn't be listening to podcast episodes like these ones. I'd love to help you accelerate your impact at work, help you really move the needle on mental health maturity in your workplace and get people to a place where they're feeling less stressed, more fulfilled and able to integrate work and life in a way that works for them and your organization. Being a people leader is especially hard right now. You might feel like you're managing both up the corporate ladder and down. And if the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. 
Let me help you by doing the heavy lifting with resources and materials, along with training and facilitation, and you can get back to doing what you do best, engaging with and supporting your people. I have many ways to support you from full service hands-on to guidance and support from afar. So let's chat about what works best for you and your people. As always, I'm here if you need me.